Father God, we just come before you today and we are just grateful for your grace and new mercies this morning. Mercy on top of mercy on top of mercy, God. You're so good and so faithful, Father. But this morning, Father, we come to you with stuff. There, there may be people here that need Christ and they don't even know it. So we beg in the name of Jesus today that you will use the teaching, that you will use the singing, that you will use everything that is done and said in this building today to draw people to Christ, that they may applaud you, love you, come to know you, and worship you, Father. So would you do that this morning, God? Use your word to draw someone to yourself. But we also ask for those that are coming today with heavy burdens. They're followers of Christ in just a season of life. They're in. It's hard. So we beg you, Father, for grace upon grace for them as well that they may endure today for the sake of someone else that may be watching and you have chosen help them to endure today father that someone else may come to this great salvation we have in Christ but encourage the believer today here in Spartanburg across to the nations the persecuted church father Give them faith today to stand firm, proclaiming Christ despite the circumstance. You're good. You're faithful. You will return one day. So God, prepare us this morning. Speak to us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. As you know, this is our third Sunday in this renovated um, building, and we are still leaping and shouting before the throne of God with unexpressible joy. And you have been so kind along the way to offer very helpful observations that would make such a massive transition easier for us, and we are trying to adjust to those rather quickly. I think the most recurring question that has come up during these three weeks is about the issue of space. Um, you, you all sort of, in unified response, say it's a wonderful worship space, but uh, to say it crudely, you say we are a little tight in, in here. It's a full space. And so my answer this morning is uh, I'm going to quote my garage repair mechanic. Uh, he's the one that's figured it out because he was here on day number one. And he says, you want to know how to fix your growth, growth problem? I said, how, how is that, Michael? He said, he said you're going to do whatever it takes. And I thought, well, that's a great answer. And he certainly backs up his approach to do whatever it takes with his own business because there was a time in his life when he did not have the opportunity to do whatever it takes with business. He was in prison. And when he got out of prison, he said, God, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm just going to ask you that you would make my phone ring. 
And so it is amazing when he comes over to the house, he doesn't have just one cell phone. He owns two cell phones, and I promise you, I've seen him at one time repair my stuff and answer two phones at the same time. Because he says, if God's going to give me health, I'm going to do whatever it takes for my business. So when you look at church, any situation that might come up at Hope Point or any local church, when there is a unified agreement in the hearts of the believers of any local body to say, we will do whatever it takes to serve the Lord in this community, I promise you the next step is easy. If the heart is saying, we'll do whatever it takes. If there was ever a whatever-it-takes servant of the Lord in the Bible, then certainly it was the Apostle Paul. And this passage I want to read this morning, I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to read the entire passage before I utter a word on it. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the whole passage is so full, I don't want to break it up with any comments. And as I read it, I just want to do to you what I would ask any good preaching student that I'd be working with, see if you can feel the tone of what is being said in these 10 verses. Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am now suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Wow, what a paragraph in the Holy Scripture. So what is the big idea? What's the tone? What's the central thesis of these? I would say it would be pleasing Christ. Pleasing Christ as a good soldier. I'd say take those 10 verses. What is Paul's main point? I want to please Christ specifically as a good soldier. And what is the tone of that? The tone is spiritual warfare. The difficulty of pleasing Christ is because we are all involved in spiritual war. Now, when we talk about warfare in the New Testament, we're not talking about going to war against humans, against flesh and blood. We're talking about going to war against everything that is within us that would persuade us to betray our king who called us to become his soldier. We go to war against everything that would convince us to live a life of laziness, heartlessness, and fear that keeps us from going out and sharing the gospel of hope with those who do not know Christ. We war against 
that. So we don't conquer people by threat. We don't conquer people by force. We conquer them by prayer. We conquer them by preaching. We conquer them by singing. We conquer them by serving them in the name of Christ. So the good soldier of Jesus understands every day I rise for one purpose, and that is to drive out the enemy of darkness that's destroying them to drive out the enemy of darkness that could likewise destroy me. And Paul makes it clear, 2 Timothy 1 through 10, this will require my suffering. If I'm going to live for Christ, live to please Christ as his soldier, I will suffer. It's interesting that Paul makes no attempt to paint the Christian life as rosy. He's like a marine recruiter at the mall, tells a young, interested, 20-year-old male that says, I'd like to be a marine. He says, well, let me tell you, Paris Island will do you in. You'll barely survive. And then you'll be on the front lines of every war after that. But you have the privilege of defending the freedoms of 350 million people in this country and to break the necks of tyranny around the world that are victimizing helpless people. Welcome to the Marines. And that's how Paul recruited people, by telling them up front what the cost was going to be. So who's the audience in this, these 10 verses of 2 Timothy 1 through 10? Well, there's two audiences. There's the original audience, which was a pastor named Timothy, and there's today's audience, which is the church of 21 centuries, specifically you and me, bound together around the world through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ, through the teaching of the Word, with all believers who have gathered and will gather today to worship our triune King. So the past audience, though, was the first person who ever read this was was Timothy. He was a younger brother, younger age-wise, brother in the Lord, spiritually, to the Apostle Paul. And he was always on the verge of saying, I can't do this. He was a man who was easily beaten down. Timothy, pastoring there the mighty city of Ephesus. And it's why I like him so much. Because I, can re- I can't relate to the Apostle Paul. I don't know what it's like to be him. I know what it's like to be Timothy and to say, I am afraid. And so I like to think of the relationship between Paul and Timothy like the, the old lion. Scarred at the end of his life. Never ran from any battle in his life. Scars now healed from decades of serving Jesus Christ. And now young cub Timothy, the old lion, trying to persuade him that it is worth every shedding of one's blood and heartache to go serve the Lord. Paul deals with Timothy's fear not by saying it will be all right. He never says it will be all right. can't stand when people... Give me counsel. It will be all right. How do you know that? Are you God? You don't know it will be all right. But you know what Paul says? It is right. He doesn't say it will be all right. He says it is right to suffer 
for the Lord. It is right to give your life for the King. It is right to give your life away for Jesus who gave his life for you. Now, there's so many things to cover in 2 Timothy verses 1 through 10. Can't cover them all today, but I want to say I did. So what I want to do is I want to give you a six-point outline so we'll pretend that I went through the whole thing because you saw six points. Maybe we'll come back to them at a later time, but at least you can see how the text flows together by the six points. Now, for those of you who are OCD and have to write down every single thing that's on the screen, these six points will be on three slides, three at a time. If you want to take pictures, wait till the third slide. I understand that, or they'll be available this afternoon on the web. So, I'll get three on each slide. The six points of 2 Timothy 1 through 10. Work hard with Christ's supernatural help. Point two of these 10 verses. Make it your aim to strengthen and equip other believers. Point number three in this passage. Suffer well in working, waiting, and fighting for Christ's kingdom. Now, that's one slide. Now, the next of the three. Dwell upon truth until it changes you. Number five, remember the sympathy and triumph of Jesus. And point number six, remember the church's gain in all of your sacrifices. So now let's begin to make our way through the text. Work hard, point number one, with Christ's supernatural help. And Paul says it like this, Timothy... Child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, you may be a little confused. I was. When you look at that, you say, well, you know, you, know, you be strong by grace. And you say, well, isn't grace free? Doesn't it just come? I can't earn it. So why is he talking about I need to go after grace? It's like, isn't it just freely offered? It is freely offered but Paul's point is, when it is freely offered and it is freely received, the next appropriate response after you receive the free, unearned, undeserved grace of God is to be strong and to work hard with the new grace that you have received. So this verse is anti-laziness. It's anti-saying, hey, I'm just Captain Grace, and it's all going to work out well. God's called me to just trust Him. Nope, God gives you grace to strengthen your weary body, and when he gives you his free, undeserved, unearned grace, the next response is, go serve him vigorously out of the grace that he just gave you. God supplies every need we have, but he calls you to make sure that you use all the grace that he's given And use it for his service. Number two, make it your aim to strengthen and equip other believers. And this verse really is one of those verses I probably should have just stopped and done the whole message on this. It's the best discipleship or disciple making verse in the Bible. And 
Maybe we will come back to it one day and just do a whole thing on discipleship. It covers four generations of influence. 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me, that would be Paul, he's saying to Timothy. So there's two generations. Paul to Timothy. What you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. There's a third generation. And those men should teach other people. So the whole thing is about... We are to live our life, if we've received the grace of Jesus Christ, we're to live our life thinking about how can I influence other people with the influence that has been given to me. Do you know what the prince of darkness is doing right now as we sit in this auditorium today? The prince of darkness is persuading ex-former, fairly strong believers Major news item going on about one of them right now, and may talk about him later in no time today. But public voice, leader of many, just as even three years ago. But there are many like him, they're exes, they're formers, and, and Satan has persuaded them get out of the race, and now that they are out of the race, they are now persuading others to abandon Christianity as well. So, time is of the essence. There are people who are always waiting for you to come beside them before they fall away. Jesus said this thing in his, the parable of, go throw a bunch of seed on the ground and watch how quickly birds come and eat it up. As soon as I finish preaching today, that which may have been precious to you is likely going to be challenged this afternoon, whether you can remember it or apply it. But if you're growing in your faith today, you have people to thank for that. People poured into you. They sacrificed for you. Paul is saying, now it's your turn to give your life away. You're not allowed to get on a boat and drive out to Me Island. So where do you live? I live on Me Island. Who, who, who lives there? Me. Who's the mayor? Me. What's the vision state of Me Island to take care of me? You don't get to do that. God has poured his life into you, and now it's your turn to pour into others. We had a very interesting occurrence this week. Uh, not far from here, one of our staff members, Dan, was eating at a restaurant talking to one of you one of our Hope Point family, and in the middle of the conversation, standing in line, uh, the Hope Point uh, member, the good, dear sister in Christ, had a seizure right there at the restaurant in line. And by God's providence, Dan's schedule had been rearranged about a dozen times already that morning, and he had him right there, and right when she had this seizure, she fell and fell right into Dan's arms. And he just lured her to the ground. Then the paramedics came and, you know, initial tests at the hospital are looking, you know, very favorable that, you know, things are, are going to be great and, and uh, already dismissed and, and home. And, but as, as we begin to think about that as a staff, we begin to say that this is really the picture of the Christian life. There are soldiers, there are fellow believers falling all around us and by God's grace we are there to catch them before they fall away from the faith to build them up 
It's your duty. That's, this is to be the preoccupation of your life. You to live for people, not me island. Live for influencing others to know Christ so they can return to the battlefield and they can strengthen others. Point number three, suffer well in working, waiting, and fighting for Christ's kingdom. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes. According to the rules, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So here, again, the, the busy mind of the Apostle Paul is trying to relate the Christian life in any way that he can get our attention. So he uses three metaphors, a soldier, an athlete, and a, a farmer. So no particular order. I'll, I'll take the men. I'll take the athlete first. And so you think about what type of suffering, because that's what the whole tone of this passage is about, is suffering. What type of Suffering does an athlete endure? I would just say that the suffering of training, the suffering of wanting to quit before proper training is over, the, the temptation to want to go seek glory before they paid the price on the practice field, like just wanting reward before putting in the work. Dabo Sweeney of Clemson University tells his players, champions are made when the stands are empty. They win those championships practicing really hard training when there is no glory. It's just hard work. Hard work. You know the whole thing, who you are when no one is looking as who you are. Um, athletes in the Greek games, before they could even compete in Paul's day, athletes used to have to go up to the Caesar's chair and, and, make, and swear to Zeus, I have been in uninterrupted training for 10 months before they were allowed to compete in Athens in the Olympics. There is... Hard work before there is glory. There's nothing better in the world than to hear one day, I mean, is this, could it be, is this the best word in the world when Jesus Christ would look at you and say, well done, faithful servant? You know what it takes to hear that? A life that is well done. You want to hear well done and not living well done. You won't hear well done. You're not going to hear it. Living a life well done now, you'll hear it then. The, the second metaphor that Paul uses is the, is the hardworking the hard farmer. Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. So you think about a farmer, what, what do farmers have to do? They have to be patient. 
especially in Paul's day, maybe, I mean, in our day too, but just think about the hardworking farmer in Paul's day. He's, he's using a hoe, tilling hard clay, rocky soil, hands calloused, bloody from that pickaxe, and then waiting, no irrigation systems, waiting on the rain to fall. So this would be the suffering, the whole passage. Remember the tone we said of the 10 verses is patience. Here of the, the tone is suffering. Here is the suffering of patience, the suffering of perseverance, the suffering of not quitting. Yesterday, I had an absolute thrill. One of my favorite parties recently, I, I got to go honor the 50th, the 50th wedding anniversary of Roger and Barbara Luttrell. And it was, it was just such a joy in, in thinking about surely it was not easy. Fifty years. Surely it was not easy all these 50 years. Surely there were hard times. Surely there were disappointments to each other. Surely there were trials. But I just look at Roger and Barbara, and I've known them so long now. They're just, I, I just have to say, if there's anything that I say about their life, there's just a rhythm to their life that's beautiful. There's a, a constancy. There's a constancy, a rhythm at home, a rhythm at church, and a rhythm at work. I was sitting with one of Roger's former co-workers who taught with him at Converse for 30 years, and he said, I promise you, he was like that, the Roger you know all the time here at Converse for 30 years. Just consistent living out the gospel. I guess there's a lot of secrets to that, but, you know, one of these is a, you know, I'm, I, I you know, Roger and I have had so many conversations, and sometimes I just pull out of people when I begin to feel like I'm on a, on a trail. I want to find out what was that answer. And so I've asked Roger, I said, how many times have you read the Bible all the way through, like in a year? And he, he said, well, 30. He said, until you told me not to. That made me feel very bad. <laughs> And I remember what I told him. We, we were just talking about how much I had benefited by it. But I said, as I got older, I began to read less large chunks of the Bible and spend more time in specific sections going deeper. So I meant to say I just don't read the whole thing now in a year. But it sounded like I told him to stop reading his Bible. <laughs> but he said he just doesn't. But he said he's done it 30 times. He's, he's met his, his goal of reading it in in a year. Um, but there's just a, a, a rhythm. That, and I can't tell you how many, how many people, that, young people, Roger has saved from financial disaster in teaching his accounting classes at Wofford. Everybody that knows Roger knows this statement is coming out of his mouth if he's counseling you as a, a young person. And, 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 and that is, you know, save good, spend bad, debt worse. And, and the second motto he always says is, spend less than you make and repeat. 
Spend less than you make and repeat, and you'll have a good life financially. You'll be able to give to things like this church and to ministries around the world, to orphans and to church planters in India and Syria. If you live by this, you see, everything's about discipleship. Spend less than you make, and you can give to the world the global advance of the gospel. And let me just tell you, I, just, I want to just tell you, this church is built, we talk about a volunteer culture, the church is built on this type of rhythm. You can't build churches on people who quit. Now they've been with us, they were part of the original seven families of the church. Back in 02, 03. And, you know, they've seen it all. They've been here long enough. They've seen fun church and they've seen ugly church. And they didn't mystically all of a sudden during the seasons of ugly church have that, oh, oh, God's calling us to leave and go down the street to fun church. No, they knew God called them during that season to stay at ugly church. That's what you do. That's how you suffer. You stay with something. And, and, and you know, it's, it's amazing. All the years before we were able to hire staff and get a little bit more full with accounting and all of that, Roger and Barbara taking the offerings at, with others and counting them after the service, which they'll do again today. And then, but for years, taking the records home and spending all Sunday afternoon recording them in a computer so that at the end of the year you would get a tax statement. Hours and hours every Sunday, and nobody knew it. Churches are built on that. Now I want to talk about the third metaphor. We talked about an athlete. We talked about a farmer who waits. Now we talk about a soldier who fights, sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Very interesting, don't you think, that Paul would choose as a metaphor to describe what Christianity is like. We serve the Prince of Peace, and the most often used metaphor in the New Testament is about fighting. God, isn't it? But the reason he uses the context or the metaphor of a soldier to talk about the Christian life, there are so many metaphors, there are so many lessons learned from good soldiering. We are a very emotion-based, feeling-based culture that says, <laughs> sort of, you know, we, we adopt a soft lifestyle. I mean, we sort of give ourselves that, well, I just feel like God wants me to do this easy thing the rest of my life. And because I feel this way, I think God feels that way too. You want to how, you, do you want to say, I want to know how God, how does God feel? That's how God feels. Be a good soldier. That's how God feels. Be a good soldier. And always remember the king who enlisted you in his army. 
is the king who calls you and compels you to join by way of a cross. When he says, come serve me, come be my soldier, he first points to the cross that he carried for you and how he served you before he summons you to serve him. He says, look at me dying for you, bleeding for you, before he ever says, take up my cross and take it out into the world. He always says, look what I have done because I've loved you first, then invites you to love him in return as a good soldier. So what can we learn from the metaphor of soldiering? There's no particular order. It's not like a one, two, three, four. I'll just mention them. First is unquestioning obedience. That's why we like soldiers. They get a command. Yes, sir. Their only standard of duty is the commander's will. You know, the Roman army, oftentimes they didn't have a standing army it's like whenever there was a time for a local region and there was a, you know, there was a conflict in a local region, do you know, what the, you know what Caesar did? He sent out a command and said, leave whatever you're doing and join the army. Merchants would leave their businesses and farmers would leave their land. And one day they were merchants, the next day they were soldiers. Because the king had summoned them. And you know... They would get to go back to their farmland. They would go get to go back to their shops, but not until the war was over. There was a wartime mentality. Precious church, wartime mentality. There are days of peace coming for us. It's not now. Now it's war against the forces of darkness. And so we serve him until it's over. Do you remember in, um, um, in the gladiator when... Caesar asked Maximus, Russell Crowe, how long has it been since you've been back to your farm? And man, only as Russell Crowe could generate that answer, he said, two years, 246 days, and this morning. Two years, 246 days, and today. Because he was a soldier. And that was first. He would get to go home one day, but not until the fight was ever over. So, well, you and I are not soldiers in the sense that we don't leave our shops, we don't leave our hospitals, we don't leave our businesses, we don't leave our farms if we're doing that, we don't leave our classrooms. So, so we really can't, that's where the metaphor breaks down. There's really not a thing to leave right now for us, but I think the, I think the key then is verse 4, don't get entangled where you are. That's how you could get this in context with being a good soldier. Don't get entangled in where you're living. This is what McLaren said. Does a certain thing, some legitimate or even praiseworthy occupation or possession or the exercise of some taste or accomplishment, some recreation, some companionship. Does it clog my feet when I ought to march, clip my wings when I ought to soar, dim my eyes when I ought to gaze on God? Then no matter what others may do about it, my plain duty is to give it up. It is entangling me. It is interfering with my warfare. What is a soldier? A soldier is someone who knows that his schedule will be given to him every day by his commanding officer. 
A soldier is someone who knows that everything his officer has recorded in his Bible is what he is to do and dread the thought that there would be anything that your commanding officer would speak to you in Scripture that you or I would ignore. A good soldier, the master passion is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to save souls that are perishing apart from the Lord. A good soldier does not worry about his clothes. He's not worried about his finances. He's not worried about how his body looks. He thinks about one thing, am I pleasing to my general? Am I pleasing to my king? He doesn't spend a lot of time in talk. He spends a lot of time on the battlefield. War means fighting. So he's not looking for comfort. Sleep is not always easy. Many times the trumpet blows when his body is weary. Soldiers suffer. The king may require that his heart be broken, his soul be crushed, but God will revive him in time. There will be moments where his best requires loss. But he did not enlist so that he might enjoy comfort. This morning while we slept, a hundred believers in a church in a village in Mali were slaughtered by radical extremists. They went to church to worship Christ, and now they're in glory. And they, they gave up comfort as they fought well simply by worshiping Jesus Christ But they didn't live for their honor. They didn't live for their comfort. They lived for the honor of their king, and they died honoring their king. How do you do all this? Not by your own strength. Let's go just back to the beginning. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The only way that you can live a life like this, your feet are bloody, you're scarred, your bones hurt, tired of walking. Jesus Christ invites you to go stand in a river of grace and to let that river of the Holy Spirit just wash and strengthen your weary body again. And some of you today in this room are considering Asking the question, am I going to let the grace of God flow all over me again so that I can fight again? Is it worth it to pick up my Bible? Is it worth it to sing another song? Is it worth it to return next Sunday? God's grace is free, but you've got to go stand in that river and let Him wash you. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you. And as you stand in that river... Letting him strengthen you through these songs, through these words, through this fellowship of others who catch you before you fall. May I paint a picture to you that one day the war will be over. And one day you will see the king and all your fellow soldiers, men and women, will be raptured from this earth with you. And you will be gathered with your king. And you, with all of your 
weary hands will be given a palm branch gathered on the roads and the highways of heaven, able to wave in honor of Jesus Christ the King, and your bloody feet will be covered with silver sandals, and you will walk on streets of gold beside a crystal river. Fight well for his glory until that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Mali. They knew you. The blood of Christ had cleansed them. The Holy Spirit had prepared them. And now the face of God has rewarded them. We're not in Mali. We're in Spartanburg. It's hard at work, hard in our families. Hard with despair, hard with temptation. So would you renew our call to be a good soldier a patient farmer, an athlete who trains when no one's looking. Oh, Father, may we see the cross of Jesus Christ lifted high. May his endurance on that cross be our motivation, be our hope. May his surrender of everything be that which compels us to surrender everything. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help us to return today to the river so the Holy Spirit can wash our tired feet, our tired knees, our tired hearts, our tired brains, and send us back out to the battlefield with love, for those who do not know Christ, prayer for those who are bound up by spiritual darkness and make us faithful witnesses of the one true King whom we serve. Oh God, we're weak like Timothy. We'll not make it unless you strengthen us, inspire us. So use these songs. Use each other for your glory. May we finish well so that we may have the joy of looking at our bruises and our cuts and our wounds and our sleepless nights and say, we didn't quit. We hurt, we didn't quit. We were rejected, we didn't quit. It didn't work out, we didn't quit. And we were rewarded because we didn't quit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.